Welcome, listeners, to this post-apocalyptic nightmare. My name is Sherry, and I'll be reading the new dystopian women's lit thriller by Pernell Plath Meyer in Our Bones. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to read along with my novel, In Our Bones, it's available wherever you get your books. Also, be sure to hit me up online. My info is in the show notes below. Thanks much. Chapter 14, Action, Not Guilt. As they crested the small hill shielding the camp from view, Lauren's face twisted. It looks like a refugee camp. That's because it is, Rachel retorted. The compound was situated in a narrow valley with a trickle of a river cutting through. Tents, shanties, and vehicles were packed in tightly in the field, extending at least a mile. A menagerie of fencing blocked it off on three sides, with the river making up the other border. Shell-shocked, the three of them got out of the van and took in their surroundings. People of all sorts milled around. Some were working on their shacks, others were carrying water or talking together. Several people waved, but no one paid them much attention. Jada dropped off Eric, and he approached them. His tone was kindly. I'm sorry about all that back there. We just can't be too careful. Jerry's kind of a hothead. I hope you know we wouldn't have shot you. Lauren looked at him for the first time. He was gorgeous, and despite having just pointed a gun at her, she believed she'd found her next man. The month since Lauren had escaped Brian was among the longest stretches she'd gone without a relationship. She batted her eyes. It was pretty scary, but we're okay now. Rachel was less forgiving. That's a really horrible way to greet people. My kid is traumatized. I'm really sorry, ma'am. Don't. Just don't. I'm not your mother. Eric fumbled his words. I, I didn't mean... Lauren thought that Rachel sounded exactly like their mother. She interjected. Don't let her bother you. She gets grumpy. Rachel snapped back. I'm not grumpy. Don't you remember what just happened? While Rachel was talking, Lauren noticed a trio of little girls popping in and out from the side of the van, giggling. The sight made Lauren's palms sweaty since all were wearing Khmer-style hijab, and Lauren had been taught to fear anyone who looked like that. She was sizing up how to react when an adult woman wearing a floral headscarf and long red skirt approached. Eric called out in his Minnesota timber. Aya, Miriam! He called to Lauren and Rachel. This is our esteemed doctor! Lauren moved closer. Rachel, with angst, but hoped she could look calm on the outside. All introduced themselves, and Eric said, which one of you wants to go to the supply tent with me? Lauren both wanted to be with Eric and get away from Mariam. She spoke quickly. Me! But can I get changed first? I can't stand everyone thinking they know who I am based on this dress. Mariam sighed. I know what you mean. Lauren colored as she realized the irony. Suddenly a loud tag rang out. The oldest of the three girls tapped Ben on the shoulder, running off laughing. Ben's eyes were full of excitement. Can I, Mom? Rachel answered nervously. I suppose so. Just stay where I can see you. Miriam said, those are my girls. I guess that's obvious. She laughed. Lauren looked at Mariam and then at her daughter's plane. They certainly didn't seem like terrorists. Lauren changed into her normal clothes and went with Eric to the massive canvas tent where they kept supplies. As they walked, Lauren mulled over his name. Why does it have to be Eric? Lauren couldn't stand that name and avoided all Eric's like the plague. The name made her skin crawl, thinking about what had happened all those years before. It was time to let that go, she told herself. When we get to the supply area, Lauren marveled at the variety. Where did you get all this? 
We have crews going out once a week or so to pick through the abandoned buildings in the area. That actually sounds kind of exciting. It can be. can be dangerous, too. Lauren twisted up her mouth as she considered how to ask the question that had been on her mind since they arrived. Speaking of danger, I noticed quite a few Muslims here. Don't you ever worry about that? Eric looked shocked. We're all here for the same reason, to be safe. You need to check your bias at the camp's edge, because we're trying to make this a secure space for everyone. I'm not saying that all the people here are all perfect. Oofta, we've got some jerks. But it isn't the Muslim people more than anyone else. If anything, it's probably the white men like me who've never figured out how to share power with anyone but other white men. Lauren was feeling so many things at the same time, she was ashamed to be criticized. But his voice hadn't been cruel. Even more so, she'd admired how he was standing up for people, not cowering in fear or lashing out like Brian and the Defenders. Lauren was even more drawn to him than before and began shamelessly flirting. Eric was not reacting to her, though, and it confused Lauren. Few men failed to respond to her flirtation. Eric asked, How about your family join me tonight for dinner? The mess hall starts serving around five. Bring Mariam, too, since she'll be your neighbor now. It'll be good for you to get to know her. Lauren brightened. Sure. How about 5.30? Perfect. Here's a cart to get your stuff back. I'll see you tonight. Lauren pulled out the heavy wooden cart across the compound, stopping frequently as she's tired easily, but she eventually got it back to the van. She and Rachel set up the tent and the rest of a makeshift camp, while Ben scooted around with the other children. Lauren thought of what Eric had said about checking her prejudice, and she realized how much of it must lurk in her heart. She was the type of person who would have been offended had anyone said she was a racist. Because she would never be openly rude to someone's face. Hers was the kind that loitered in the interstices of her mind and heart, feeding on her fears and worries with little conscious awareness. Lauren heaved, thinking of the years of Brian's hate-fueled indoctrination that she needed to unpack. Living up to her new mantra of action, not guilt, she jogged over to play with Ben and Mariam's girls. Mariam was at the medical clinic next to their site when Lauren went over to invite her to the evening meal. Mariam agreed, and at the right time, the party of seven set off to meet Eric. He was sitting near the door waiting for them. Go ahead and get your food. I'll save the table. A long counter was set up along the back wall, filled with large pans of delicious-smelling foods. The Hansberries hadn't eaten a real meal since the day before, and Lauren was ravenous. She took a plate from the stack, and Mariam said, we wash these ourselves after I'll show you. Lauren questioned, They grow food here? Yeah, they do, but I don't know much about it. I just stick to my doctoring. Since Eric mentioned that everyone who was able was expected to join a work crew, Lauren decided that the garden would be her destination, though the idea of working for the team that collected stuff from empty buildings kept dancing in her mind. Lauren wasn't sure that she needed any more excitement after what she'd been through but had to admit that the adrenaline rushes had a certain intoxication. When they joined Eric at the table, the adults sat together and the kids sat nearby. It was like the kids had known each other their whole lives, Lauren thought. She wished it were that easy for adults. The mess hall was a network of cobbled-together plywood filled with unmatched dining sets. It looked to Lauren like a used furniture store. She sat down next to Eric in an attempt to woo him some more. So what's your story? Oh, that's a long one. We've got time, Lauren flipped her hair. Okay, then. I grew up in the Iron Range, and a lot of my friends were party supporters. The militia in our area kept growing, and my buddies tried to recruit me, but I could see the president for who he was from the beginning. So I steered clear. 
but when they started attacking people in my community, I couldn't sit back. I'd do crazy stuff to slow them down, like put laxatives in their food, disable their weapons, or putting detergent in their gas tanks. One night, some guy caught me red-handed, and I took off then and there. I'd been hearing that this camp was forming, so I made my way here. Enough about me. What about you? Lauren wasn't sure how to react to what he'd said, but she was fairly certain that he wouldn't think too highly of her if he ever found out about Brian. As Lauren sputtered about how to answer the question, Rachel jumped in. We grew up on a farm in the southeast of the state. I suppose you can say we're a few years apart in age, but it isn't just the two of us now. I've been worried about my son for a long time, but once the militias were legalized, it didn't seem like we had much choice but to leave. Mariam groaned. No, it's not safe for him, nor anyone who looks like him or me. My family and about 50 others banded together to create this little colony way out in the country by ourselves. We figured if we left everyone alone, they'd leave us alone. Wrong. We got raided and my husband was killed. My daughters and I hiked for days to find shelter. We got lucky when the resistance gleaners found us and brought us here. Lauren felt sheepish, considering how she had reacted to Mariam just a few hours before. Rachel asked, How long have you been here? About six months. Eric's been here helping me get my medical clinic set up. I think he about peed his pants when he found out I was a doctor. There weren't any here before me, Eric laughed. There was absolutely no peen involved. But yes, I was pretty stoked. You're about the best thing that's happened to this place. Eric had a mature, in-charge energy that wasn't pushy. After Brian's insecure posturing, Lauren found his confidence reassuring. Eric came across as someone who knew who he was and didn't need to prove anything to anyone. That's the way I want to be, she thought. After their meal, the doctor took them down to the river to wash up. Lauren's nose crinkled at the foul, oily water. Global, regional, and local conflicts over scarce water resources raged. The president ordered militia groups to secure access as a priority for their new headquarters buildings across the country. Rachel washed Ben as much as he'd allow, and the family walked back to settle in for the night. After Ben fell asleep, the sisters had their first chance to speak alone since coming. Lauren asked, Have you been thinking about Mom? All day. I have too, but I can't seem to feel the way I should. You two had a hard relationship, and she was sick for a long time. I know I've been mourning since she was diagnosed. If we're being honest, all we've been through these past two days would have been too much for her. I'm glad she's gone. But now I think more of me is relieved that she's with God now. Yeah, I guess that's true. Grief unfolds over time, Lauren. Give yourself some space to work through it once it settles down. Lauren said, it feels like things will be okay now. I like it here. Me too. But I still think we should move along as soon as possible. Lauren rolled over sleepy. We'll see. Days rolled into weeks, which rolled into months, and the Hansberries fell into a routine. Rachel started helping at the clinic, and she and Mariam were becoming fast friends. Lauren took up the work in the gardens, as she'd hoped, and Ben attended school, as he'd hoped. Eric was around here and there, and Lauren would pull out all her allure. Lauren was frustrated that things weren't progressing and had to keep herself from finding another target. Rachel cautioned patience, saying Lauren needed to be more time to heal from Brian. Reluctantly, Lauren agreed to cool her heels and sought a different type of exhilaration than new love. She offered to go out on one of the trips with the procurement team. She was nervous as hell, but wanted to contribute to the camp more than just weeding. The next morning, Lauren awoke before sunup to join the crew. 
The camp had converted a van to run on vegetable oil and animal fat they had made into biodiesel. They had been able to acquire enough from abandoned restaurants to keep their vehicles running without the need for gas. The dusty van drove for nearly an hour, then pulled into a lot with a chipped sign that read, Boulder Ridge Apartments, though there were no boulders nor ridges to be seen. Four identical tan buildings in various states of disrepair stood before them. Pedro, the crew leader, was energetic and his voice encouraging. Lauren liked him immediately. Listen up. I'd like to finish buildings two and three today, if we can. Lauren, since you're new, why don't you stick with me? Four others grabbed supplies and went their own ways. Lauren held her breath as she and Pedro entered the doorway of the main hall. Dim light filtered in, revealing plaster littering the floor and a fuzzy layer of black mold on the walls. The musty smell was nauseating. Pedro handed her a mask. Here, put this on. We don't want to be breathing this stuff in. How do we know what we're looking for? We keep an inventory of what we've got and what we still need. But if something seems really good, we just take it. It seems so strange to be picking through the remains of people's lives. You'll get used to it. You just have to keep telling yourself that the rules of survival here have changed. It's not stealing. We're just taking things that would end up rotting here. We're giving it another life is all. Lauren agreed, but couldn't help feeling creeped out by the entire enterprise. The first few apartments went quickly with little to take. When they were going through the second apartment, Pedro let out a whoop. He was pouring over a stash of small, dark brown bottles. Mariam's going to be thrilled. These essential oils are good. We use them for all sorts of things, but some are great antibacterials. Plant oils are most of what people use to treat infections before the antibiotics were invented. People really screwed that up, though. Pumping farm animals so full of antibiotics is a lot of what created these goddamn superbugs. Sorry, I don't mean to drone on. I was a microbiologist in Honduras before my nephew and I came here. Lauren was surprised, as she tended to think of immigrants as uneducated. Why did you come if you had such a good job? Pedro scoffed, telling only the part of the story. The drug cartels killed my sister and tried to recruit my nephew. I couldn't let that happen, so we walked all the way to the border hoping for asylum. It was awful. There were so many kidnappings by other cartels. It was like we couldn't get away from them. Then the U.S. government quit accepting asylum applications, and we were just stuck in limbo at the border. And trust me, it was way worse than here. There were no bathrooms, water, nothing. Finally, my uncle paid to get us smuggled through a tunnel under the wall. Wow, that's horrible. I didn't realize how bad things were. Lauren felt uncomfortable as if Pedro could know all the things she said and thought about immigrants. She doubled her efforts to help. Action, not guilt. At the last apartment on the top floor, Lauren opened the door to a bedroom and bellowed, Pedro, come here! Pedro examined the room. I forgot to warn you about the bodies. Ah, man, poor guy. I've seen this a lot. Mostly old, sick, and disabled folks ended up just getting left behind when no one could take care of them anymore. I find them in wheelchairs sometimes, too. It was like Darwinism by default. So sad. Let me do this. I know it's a lot for your first day. Lauren was about to argue that she could handle it, despite knowing she couldn't, when the sound of an engine came through the window. A small truck with gaping rust holes stopped next to the van. Pedro whispered, I think those are the ones who broke in a couple of months ago and ripped off our stuff. I think they're on drugs. Son of a gun. I'd better go scare them off. They're getting nothing today. Outside, an emaciated man and woman were tugging at the van's doors. Pustules covered their faces and arms. Pedro aimed his rifle. That's enough now. You two get out of here. The man got 
crazed look in his eyes and started yelling back, Fuck you, prick! We've got just as much right to this stuff as you! Pedro shouted back. You do the work bringing things out, you get to keep it. Those are the rules. Now go on. The man rushed at Pedro, pulling his knife from his back pocket. A single shot took him down. The skinny woman squealed as she ran back to the truck and tore off, leaving her bloody dead companion in the lot. Lauren was confused because Pedro hadn't fired until she looked across and saw a woman about her age with a shotgun. Lauren had never seen someone be killed before and was horrified. She began piteously sobbing. Look, there, it's a dust devil headed our way. Let's get the van loaded and get out of here. Go, go, go! The driver hit the gas and the mini tornado ripped through the parking lot, picking up the man's body and slamming it into the building. Lauren groaned. She didn't want to be cold, but she didn't want this crying all the time either. The woman who'd done the shooting glared at her. What's your problem? Why did you kill that man? He probably would have taken off with a warning shot or blowing out his leg. He didn't have to die. The woman was putting her hair up in a ponytail and flatly stated, Listen, girly, I don't ever like taking out anyone, but I'm not going to moralize over that junkie's death. If he had gotten Pedro even once, he could have killed him. If not from the cut itself, from the infection. No matter how many of those bottles of oil we bring back, it's not enough to treat a deep wound. Whatever drug they're on makes them lose their minds and they get really strong. I wasn't going to risk it. Pedro is more important than he is. Sorry, not sorry. You'll get used to it. Or not. I'm surprised Eric recommended you join us. You seem kind of fragile to me. Lauren bristled. I'm not fragile. Pedro interjected. There's no two ways about this. This work is hard. When people are in, in impossible situations, they have to make impossible choices. Maybe you can't handle it. But you shouldn't feel bad that you're crying because someone died. I've just dealt with so much. I can't take it in anymore. But then that makes me feel awful, too. The trick is to somehow hold both sorrow and pragmatism in your heart and mind at the same time. The yin and the yang, sort of. While her body jerked back and forth along the road, Lauren contemplated Pedro's words and knew he was right. She wondered if she'd ever be able to figure out a way to balance her emotions. She also wondered if she should stick to gardening. <laughs>